in terms of a team goal. Obviously, to finish in the top half of the table would be amazing. To, I would even say if we, hey, you, we might be good enough to be a Champions League contender in the top three, top four. So for me, I think that would be a team goal for us. And yeah, it's never, it's never too big. Like, dream big. Hello and welcome to another episode of FC Uval, still the only English-speaking podcast for, by and about FC Köln fans from around the world. My name is Robert and today I'm recording live at the Franz Kremer Stadion. There's not a game going on, but I just watched a very interesting training session of the women's soccer team on a lovely but very hot Thursday morning, not a cloud in the sky and the Frauen are just getting ready for their upcoming season and I'm thrilled to have my first ever active pro player on this show. So the honor goes to and without further ado I would like to give you Genesee Dotti Puntigam. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So before we delve into the interview, I would like to introduce you to our listeners. I did my research and I hope it is all correct, um, but please let me know if it's not. So you were born in 1992 as a Genesee Doty in Huntington Beach, California, which, well, born 1992, that makes you 29 years old, correct? That's correct, 29. <laughs> You're a defense midfield player, uh, more defense, is that correct? Yeah, more like an outside back wide defender position. From 2010 to 2013, you played for uh, California Golden Bears, Go Bears, uh, UC Berkeley. And then you did the switch over to France, playing for Montpellier HSC from 2014 to 2017. Then going from 2017 to 2018 to Vizio GIK. And then going back to the US for LA Galaxy Orange County for uh, half a year in 2019. Before going back to France, playing for Dijon FCO from 2018. 20 to 2021 those were all first division teams that is all correct that's correct and then you chose to take a little break and now you are back as a defense player with a contract until june 30th of 2024 so uh welcome to cologne welcome to the most beautiful city in germany uh we are very glad to have you yes sir <laughs> you grew up um south of la Tell us uh, about your youth and how you found your passion for soccer. Yeah, so I grew up in southern Orange County, um, right by the beach. My childhood was super beautiful and colorful. I had opportunities to play a wide variety of sports. I actually did figure skating for about 13 years before I segued into soccer. So I, my first love was figure skating, um, and that's um, influenced by my mom who was also a professional figure skater so I started out there and that's where I kind of got my root bearings of you know discipline and hard work it all started with with ice skating and um, I fell in love with soccer when I watched my sister go to her first tryout and I said hey I want to do the same and from the moment I tied those shoes up I just kind of never left the field it seems like 
What are some of the skills that you took from figure skating over to soccer? Um, for sure, discipline. And I mean, that sport is takes no mercy. It takes um, all... It's, it's all-consuming. You wake up in the morning, you eat, breathe, sleep, figure skating. I, I went before, like, second grade. I remember second, third, fourth grade. I would get up at 5 a.m. I would go to the rink. I would train for two, three hours, go to school at 8, um, get off at 1, 2 o'clock, straight back to the rink and training. So that's where I learned, like, okay, discipline is first. Um, perfect the craft, work on the fine details. And, yeah, that's definitely carried with me throughout my career, I think. I use that still today about just going the extra mile and putting everything into all the stuff you can control is, yeah, kind of my motto, control the controllables, so. And um, so you said your mom um, was, is uh, an athlete as well. So would you describe your family as an athletic family? I would say so, yeah. My mom's influence um, started, like I said, when we were really young, me and my two sisters, and we all played um, we did figure skating, there was soccer, we did softball, gymnastics, hockey. It was kind of try everything once and see what kind of sticks. Um, and my mom's influence was just kind of let us do what we want. And she was a big support system, always there for us. So that, this was very cool. How was your switch from figure skating to soccer perceived in your family, not just your mom, but also your siblings, rest of the family, your dad? Um, I think everyone was pretty supportive. I think they just kind of wanted to... I was still kind of young. I was still 12, 13 years old. So, um, and at the time, I think I was getting kind of burnt out. It's it's a lot. It's a lot of... It's a very heavy schedule for a, a young adolescent girl to be doing figure skating. And I wanted something different. And plus, soccer is a team sport where figure skating is more individual. And so I liked the community aspect of soccer. And my family was more than supportive. They had no problems. It kind of sounds like sport is then as you said you did so many different sports and tried them all out is sport a means of expression for you um you could say that yeah like for me I always thought of sport as like a safe space or like a release away from everyday life especially as I got older where like pressures of you know being a young adult or a teenager start to come into play I remember I could always come to soccer and all that would kind of wash away and I could just have fun with my friends and enjoy being being on a soccer field yeah how did the decision maybe it wasn't not your decision but how does it uh, come about that you ended up becoming a defender that actually wasn't my choice. <laughs> I started out as a forward, believe it or not. Um, and then, I don't know, when I was 11, no, how to be later, at like 14, my coach said, hey, like, you're really fast. Um, we could use some speed back in the defensive line. And like, also as a modern day outside back, they say that, you know, you can attack still and take part and do crosses and whatever. And they said, okay, let's, let's switch you back to this position. And then I switched and I ended up loving it. And I've been been back there ever since. What makes a strong defender in your book? Someone who wins 1v1 duels, someone who is not afraid to get forward and take risks in the opponent's half, um, someone who has pace and athleticism, definitely, and someone who can read the game. Um, I think this is especially important on the outside, that you you know when you can go forward and when you can't. and. Yeah, when to play a risky ball or to play it safe like this. And how has soccer shaped your identity as a young adult athlete in the U.S.? 
In the U.S., I think this is a special question for me. Um, I started to realize my real identity, I would say, around when I was exiting high school. So in my teenage years, I started to think, okay, hey, maybe um, my sexuality, I was a little bit different from the other people. And at soccer, there was always, like, I never felt like I had to hide who I was because there were other people on the team, whether it was announced or not, that I knew were in the same situation as I was. And I always just felt comfortable. Whereas in the outside world, I maybe thought, okay, I need to maybe hide this part. Maybe I shouldn't say um, how I am or what I'm like, you know. But on the soccer field, the girls were all, it was never a judgmental place within the team itself. I can't say the same for the staff, but within the actual team, I felt safe. Was it back then declared as a safe space or was that basically like an unwritten rule? In high school, it was an unwritten rule. When I got to college, which was at UC Berkeley, which is a very, very liberal, liberal area, it was, you know, gay rights. It was pride and that's something that was I had never seen before. And so I think that's where I really took off and felt comfortable with who I was, was traversing through that college experience at Cal. And yeah, it was... It was eye-opening. I was like, hey, I don't have to hide. Like, look at all these people that I had never seen before that are here accepting who I am. So that was really special. Was specifically at UC Berkeley, from your perspective, of course, we're talking about a very subjective experience here. Mm -hmm. But in your experience, was soccer different in that sense from other sports that you saw at uh, UC Berkeley that... It allowed you to, well, live your identity freely? Um, on the female side, I can, from what I noticed, because this, like a lot of the athletes hung out together, so we were always with lacrosse or we were always with softball and basketball. And from what I um, noticed, I think it was very open amongst all the teams. I think all the females were kind of in the same space as the soccer players where they felt, okay, There's a group of girls who maybe are homosexual or bisexual or pansexual or whatever they want to identify as, and that's fine. And it is what it is, and it's not talked about, or if it is, it's celebrated. So it was never any negativity amongst the athletic community on the female side. I'm not sure about the men's side because it's you just don't hear anything about that. So either it just wasn't discussed or maybe it was a, more of a hostile environment for them, but I'm not exactly sure. I guess that just shows representation matters in uh, whichever way uh, to see that it is okay and that you can create your space and that you are welcome, that you are safe. Speaking of uh, representation and uh, the uh, Women's uh, European Championship just ended, who were your role models back then? Um... Well, on the men's side, I would say Ronaldinho because I used to grow. I watched the, his YouTube videos of like Ronaldinho's best 10 goals or best trick moves. I used to do that all the time. And then as I got a little older, I love Iniesta, um, like Tony Cruz, a lot of the central midfield players that I feel like are the, the driving engine of the team and who are just they're just so smart with the ball. Those are my favorite players. And then I also love Neymar, who's super flashy and I kind of identify with because he's a, a wide player and he's just so fun to watch. So. And in the world of women's soccer, were there any? Um, I would say Mia Hamm, probably when I was a kid. But when I was growing up, the women's there was really not a women's league. There was the women's national team, but they were only played games a handful of times of the year. And at the time, it, it wasn't on TV, so it was very hard to watch. Um, so I guess as I got older, 
a lot of the people I played against, like Megan Rapino, Alex Morgan, like girls like this who are still my age, but I still looked up to, you know, um, became sort of my role models. And of course, my wife now, because she's insane. Sarah Puntigam from Österreich, shout out. So she's, yeah, a baller as well. Now we are uh, in between 2013, 2014, um, and you make the decision um, to go to France. What happened? <laughs> well, as I had said before, the league in America was rocky. It was folding every other year. There was no money. It was horrific conditions. And I thought to myself, like, I want to continue my career, but it doesn't seem like the U.S. is an option. And luckily, I played with Alex Morgan, and she had graduated prior to me. And she had said to the younger classmen, I have this agent. If anybody wants to use him to go abroad, like, please, by all means. So she lended us her agent, and he came back with a couple different options. He said, you can go to Germany, you can go to Japan, or France. And of those three countries, I thought France was the least daunting. You know, I think I'd be able to adapt best um, as a shy, young um, girl who's never really traveled out of the country before. I was like, okay, France sounds like my best, my best shot for success. So I went with France. What was your experience like going abroad? Uh, you're 22 years old, uh, coming from California, and then you are in Montpellier. Doesn't strike me as the easiest transition. <laughs> How was it? Yeah, it was it was rough. The first, I would say, three or four months, well, there were a lot of times where I called my mom. I was like, I don't know if I can do this. And, you know, she sat down. She said, you know what, look, like, if you don't take this chance, like, you're going to end up regretting it. And she's like, just suck it up. It, things will get better. And it did. The hardest thing for me was the language barrier. Like, I spoke no French. No, It seemed no one spoke any English. Um, my coach at the time spoke zero English. It was one assistant coach who spoke broken English. And then, yeah, like I was new to the team, so I didn't know anybody. So the language barrier was the hardest part. Luckily, after a couple of weeks, I became very close with a Swedish girl and she spoke English and we kind of navigated um, the new country together. But as soon as I was able to speak the language, all the doors opened and it was okay. How was your experience as a person of color coming to Europe? Uh, was that m remarkably different from the U.S.? Um, I don't think that it had... Like, there's nothing that sticks out to me that I'm like, oh, hmm, maybe that was a little bit racist or maybe they're treating me a little bit differently. Um, what I can say is that people, when I told them that I'm black, if I said, if someone said, oh, what's your ethnicity? I said, oh, I identify as black or I'm half black. And they would say, you're not black. And I was like, well, yes, I am. And they're like, no, you're, you're, you're mixed. You're, that doesn't count. And I was like, okay, that's really interesting that they think that because I'm a lighter skinned, it's not the same as like a dark African person would be. So I don't know if maybe that was why, maybe because I'm lighter skinned, they treated me better. I don't know if that would be the correct terminology, but I don't, I can't think of a situation where I felt like, oh, I'm black and some, they're being mean to me or something like this. What were your um, key takeaways, if you can call them that, from uh, yeah, comparing your previous um, soccer career in the US to uh, France or, well, Europe? You also played in Germany, you played in Sweden. Yeah, I would say if you're coming from the U.S. Um, to, to Europe, I would say prepare for the culture shock because it's real. I would say soccer-wise, like speed of play, um, especially if you're coming like from a university level, is much higher. 
And then the other thing I would say is like the tactics in Europe, especially in Germany, like they focus a lot on tactics. And in the US, I feel like that's where the game is a little bit lacking. The US is more like athleticism focused and fastest, quickest, strongest is where they really hone in. And yeah, Europe is very like, how can we break down the game in an intelligent way? So to study up on uh, like your soccer IQ is what I would say. How did the defender in you change over those years in Europe? <laughs> uh, more confidence, definitely more confidence. It had to be because if not, it's either sink or swim type situation. So the, my confidence level shot up. Um, and then just the, yeah, I just, I guess I fell more in love with the game. I didn't think it was possible with the culture and everybody is watching soccer. It's always on TV. I thought this was so cool and Yeah, it was, it was just more excited to be out there. I mean, soccer in itself is like this very enclosed um, microcosm, I, I would call it. Um, how did you interact with the, the cities, with the wider environment that you found yourself in, in those three countries? I mean, with my group of foreign friends, we tried to see as much of the city as possible, you know, go and try the food and, you know do activities but yeah I feel like with soccer there's so much free time but at the same time there's not like you, you can't like go out and party because you have training the next day or you know you don't want to walk around too far or go on hikes because again like you, then your legs are tired for training so there is opportunity because like in reality there's a lot of hours in the day that aren't being used but you have to use those to think about what's coming next so we tried our best to like go and sightsee and you know, yeah, take advantage of being in Europe, but sometimes it's it's easier said than done. I don't know if that makes sense. I think so. It, it kind of sounds like it's a parallel um, thing to, well, being a migrant. And, like, you're not really part of what is going on around you and your athleticism, well, restricts you in a certain way. Did you have the feeling like you've fit in as a migrant from the U.S.? Maybe the first year I kind of felt a little excluded, but I think that really comes down to just not being able to take part in the conversations that were happening around me. Like the girls are really nice, but like it's not uh, it's not up to them to make sure that I feel okay. And it's it's really hard to learn a language in six months, you know. So it's I don't think it was done purposely, and I also tried my best, but it's it's some it's just hard and it's just different when you can't really assimilate because you can't really talk to anybody. I feel like for a long time people didn't realize my humor and my sarcasm. That never really translated across, but as time went on and as things got better and I got more comfortable, um, yeah, I had, it was a lot better. It was just the first six months to a year that I was kind of hard. Yeah, and I mean, also then just being away from the family. Right. So, I mean. Yeah, yeah, a lot, it was on our off weekends, a lot of girls would just hop on the train and go back two hours to their families and have the dinners and all that nice off time. And it was always just like me in my apartment, like just watching Netflix or FaceTiming for an hour, 30 minutes when my family wakes up right before I go to bed. So that part is definitely, it's definitely tough, but yeah, it's it's part of the gig. It's part of the job. Mm -hmm. So... Then you went to Sweden for almost a year mm -hmm. before then going back to the U.S. for half a year. Um, how did that come about? Yeah, uh, 
during my last season at Montpellier, I wasn't playing as much as I would have liked. And I thought, okay, I'd been there for three, three and a half years. Let's try something new. So I, my best friend was playing at this team in Sweden. And so I went there with her and I quickly found out that it was very cold and I do not like the cold. <laughs> so uh, yeah, the first year I said to myself, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tough it out. But after this, like, I want to go back. I want to go back. And so the problem with the Swedish league is that the league is ending in the middle of like the European league. So I had to go back for a half year and play in America. It was a semi-pro team um, just until the like the next transfer window opened. So that's kind of how I ended up back in L.A. So there you played for L.A. Galaxy, yeah. uh, Orange County. Okay. Well, then you went back to France. Uh, I assume that it's like previous uh, connections that brought you there. You lived outside of the U.S. for almost uh, seven years. Yes. And, um, well, you decided to take a break and uh, take a break from soccer. That is in 2021. And mm -hmm. I want to say that I really respect that decision and have been thinking about it a lot before doing this interview because um, the potential hesitations by soccer players and generally athletes to take a break, be it f because of mental emotional or physical uh, reasons I mean that there's so much pressure to to do that and um, I just wanted to recognize that what were the reactions from your family from your teammates and from your management when you announced that you wanted to mm -hmm. take a break from management it was kind of like are you sure this is career suicide and from family They're like they're very supportive of whatever I want to do, and they they also knew that at the time like I wasn't at 100, and this is very very big for me. I don't like to do anything unless it's at 100, and I could feel that like mentally things were slipping. I had family problems. My dad was was kind of sick at the time, and I hadn't been home in so many years. My sister had just had a baby, and I missed all of it, and I was just sitting here thinking like what am I doing? Like, I'm not happy. I want to go back home. It's been so long. Like, no, I never get to see my family. And it was just a lot that I was like, am I here for the right reasons? Like, maybe I should take a break. And mental, mental, um, mental problems is something that's just not discussed in, in soccer or in sports in general. And I feel like it's kind of now with what Simone Biles did when she she's, uh, didn't perform in the, uh, was it the Olympics or something? Whatever that biggest... Um, competition that she skipped down on was and she said it was for mental reasons like she, you just need a break and sometimes you just need a break like people don't realize the sport is it it's all consuming it's it takes everything from you you almost have no time to mentally shut off and when you do it's for a week and then during that week you're doing fitness practice like there's no ever real break and people there's yeah there's just not enough support I think on the mental side of the game and this is something that I'm really passionate about and so Even though my agent said, this is career suicide, I said, if I don't take this break now, I don't know what's going to happen to me like years down the line. And so I did, and it was the best decision that I ever made. And it was kind of tough coming back where coaches would be like, well, what did you do this last year? Why did you take a break? And I was like, oh, I just told the truth. I said, hey, I needed to reset um, my family. I had family problems. And then when I explained it, a lot of them were a little bit more open to it, but it was always like, okay, well, let me think about it and get back to you. And I think that that was interesting because my resume, like I've played a lot. It's always been in the top league. Um, 
so I, I thought like, okay, even though if I take a year, I'll be fine. And then when some coaches were like, you know, not jumping at the bit, I was like, shoot, like maybe I messed up. But in the end, everything works out how it should. And now I'm playing for a really amazing club. So I'm happy that I did it. Yeah, I mean, that really sounds like the right decision from like the outside perspective. And uh, well, you just mentioned your resume. I apologize that I forgot you also played for the U-17 national team in the U.S. I've sorry, I did not mention that, but uh, even more impressive. And uh, so then during that break, did you take the time to reflect on what happened in the last years with your soccer career and how has that potential time of reflection um, changed your idea of soccer? Yeah, I, I towards the end before I took the break, you know, I felt as if I was underperforming and I wasn't happy with, you know, my stats or my playing time. And I was just thinking like, what, where did, where did I go wrong or what happened that made me feel this way? And for me, it was, I think, really the lack of being home and being with my family and like having the support system that I had had my entire life kind of just, I just didn't have it in the same capacity that I was used to. And so when I, I went home and I reset and I was with my family, I, I really took like two or three months off from everything. And then I was able to like start training again with my friends. And then I would go to like my old university's practice and I would like, I fell in love with the game again. And that's just really what I needed was to be like, okay, I love this sport. I, I didn't love it three months ago and why? And then I realized, okay, I need my family. And I, yeah, I just, I just took a step back and really did some yeah reflection and i'm glad i did because i'm all the, i'm all better for it then cologne knocked on the door yes. how did that happen um this happened because after or actually when my fiance and i got engaged we had said like for the for the next couple of years like we really want to play together we don't want to do long distance like it's important that we play together and we play for a club that's accepting of of who we are as people and not just who we are on the soccer field And so we had a couple of different options, but we felt that the environment wasn't right or, you know, the way they handled, especially in France, the way that they handled the LGBTQ community, it's just a total turnoff, to be, to be honest. And Cologne, when we came on the visit, like, there's rainbow flags with the, the Cologne signal or sign, like, over the rainbow flag. And it's just, we immediately felt like, okay, this is where we need to be. Like, we can really focus on soccer here we don't have to think about anything else other than soccer and no one cares if we're married or we're not married like it was just really super cool that they were so open what was the environment that you found uh within the club and tell us about the experience with uh, Sasha Glass and Mirella Juncker the uh, two head coaches um, they were extremely nice they were extremely interested in um, my profile and Sarah's profile at the same time. It, it seemed like they were treating us as, as equals. Oftentimes, I feel um, because Sarah is such a, um, a big player, like a lot of people really focus on Sarah. And then for me, it's like, okay, well, we'll take Jen too. But here it seemed like, okay, they want me and they want Sarah. And that was evident from the beginning. So um, we liked that aspect, obviously. And then um, with Nicole Bender, the, the manager, she was, she's unlike any other manager I've ever been a part of. She's very playful and you feel right away that 
she wants to make you feel comfortable where sometimes with the other managers it's like oh I'm the manager of the club like you need to like I have all the authority don't ask me questions like I'll tell you what to do and she was just the complete opposite of that and again we just felt like wow this is just so different from what we're used to and we like that so so you feel like you're working in a professional but safe environment exactly professional but safe that's perfect yeah well i have to ask the question since uh you uh rarely interview a player that is married to a teammate how's that working uh with your partner on the field well actually today was our first practice the first time we've ever actually played together so from what i can from judge off to today it's, it's gonna be totally fine but i think that Her and I, like, we've been playing for so long. We're, we're 30 years old now. We know how to be professional. And even if, even if the off chance that, like, something were to happen or we had a disagreement, then it would be as if I had a disagreement with any of my other teammates. It wouldn't be any other, she wouldn't be treated any other way because, like, we end up going home together. But, yeah, I look at her as someone that's a role model for me, but also as my equal and... It's just fun to be doing something that we both love with the person that you love. It's really special. Healthy competition. Healthy competition, yeah. <laughs> well, then, um, yeah, you got um, married and now you are Genesee Dotti Puntigam. Congratulations to that. And um, speaking about LGBTQ rights, you are also uh, the ambassador for um, Athlete Alley. Here comes a little infomercial about it. Uh, it is an organization operating in New York City that works to, quote, dismantle the systems of oppression in sports that isolate, exclude, and endanger LGBTQI plus people. And in your statement uh, published by Athlete Ally, you say um, LGBTQI plus inclusion in sports is paramount to the development of self-confidence and personal empowerment. How does this reflect on your own experience? Um, I can say that if you ask any athlete, regardless of um, uh, religion, sexuality, whatever you identify as, they'll say like you perform best when you're at your 100% confidence level. And for me specifically, and when I felt at my previous clubs like that I was being judged on something other than my game performance, then my confidence dipped and I said, okay, I'm, I feel, I don't feel good. Like, and you need to be performing at 100% mentally to be performing 100% physically, in my opinion. And when you feel excluded by your coach or the general manager, how can you step on the field without focusing on Without focusing on that and not just soccer. So for me, like inc inclusivity in sports really comes down to, yeah, acceptance, number one, but also like self-confidence and being able to perform at the highest level. You mentioned um, the lack of acceptance towards the LGBTQ uh, community in France. How do you feel about it in Germany in terms of activism in sports? Um, from what I can tell so far, they've done a great job. I love that the, like, The captain's armbands are rainbow. Sometimes the corner flags are rainbow. Um, like the pride pride symbol is around. And it just seems like it's not perfect yet, but they're taking the right steps to make people feel comfortable. Um, in France, it just, like, I can't remember a time where I ever saw a rainbow, to be honest. Like, it just wasn't ever talked about and just because it's like you pretend like it doesn't exist that doesn't make it make you feel better either like so it's nice that they're 
little signs and they do campaigns and sometimes on Twitter they'll do like a pride, some pride related thing and it's like, okay, that's cool to see. Um, so yeah, I appreciate that from Germany because in France it's just not there. <laughs> well, I guess uh, patriarchy is to blame. Uh, well, I mean, not just in France, but also in Germany where it is permeating every aspect of social life especially in soccer where the majority are white men uh, that are the ones making decisions for a majority of white fans. Um, and I mean, that can create new chances sometimes if they become aware of the necessity uh, to change um, and diverge from old ways. Uh, but it can also create new hurdles. In your opinion, um, what can soccer fans and players do to promote and to strive for more inclusion and equality? I think fans can continue to show support to the ones that have, you know, come out or on Instagram, maybe posted a picture with their significant other. Just, you know, keep the conversation going. Like, yeah, I think that's the best thing you can do is continue to talk about it and make the ones that are already out um, feel like they have their support so that the ones that are kind of on the fence about it are like not sure if maybe they want to post or if they want to come out of the closet just yet, then those ones can at least look at the ones that have done it and say, look at all the support that they've received and be like, okay, it's, maybe it's not so scary. And they'll, they'll follow suit as well. So now we have learned about your personal history. We have learned about your uh, work in activism. Let's go back to uh, you as the athlete. The season is coming up. Cologne has uh, finished their uh, first season after uh, promoting last year. Um, what are your goals for the coming season? Um, my personal goals, being a, an older player amongst a very young team, is to be have more of a leader, more of a calming presence on the field. I think my type of play is someone you can look at and be like, okay, she's, she's not going to panic when she gets the ball or maybe when... If we go down 1-0, then I'll be the one that'll be like, okay, let's let's calm down, let's reset, you know, have more of a, a leadership role um, is, a, is a personal goal. And then in terms of a team goal, obviously to finish in the top half of the table would be amazing. To, I would even say if we, hey, you, we might be good enough to be a Champions League contender in the top three, top four. So for me, I think that would be a personal or a team goal for us. And yeah, it's never, it's never too big, like, dream big mm -hmm. yeah all right thank you so much before we uh wrap it up uh, i of course have also six quick questions for you quick questions quick answers your favorite spot in cologne Ooh, i like um highland cafe <laughs> all right uh you state online that you are a bacon fanatic oh, yeah. did you find a good bacon spot in cologne I haven't, and if anyone has any recommendations, please hit me up, DM me, whatever, Twitter me, I don't care. Like, I'm, I'm looking for the best bacon spot. I need it, I'm missing it. All right, if you know a bacon spot, you can reach Genesee on Instagram. It's instagram.com slash gbanks, that is G-E-E-B-A-N-K-S. Shoot her a message, bacon is needed. <laughs> Question number three, I assume you are uh, learning German at the moment. Um, What's your favorite German word so far? Ooh, I like um, schwierig. Okay. <laughs> For what? no reason, other, okay. other than the fact that it sounds fun. It's fun to say. Oh, yeah, the, the SCH sound. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Question number four. Which Bundesliga game are you most looking forward to in the coming season? Um, let's play Bayern. 
course, like top top one, two team. Like I like to play the big dogs. I like the challenge. I want to be up against the best players in the world just to see how I stand. And yeah, I'm sure the crowd will be huge, uh, especially if it's a home game here. I know the fans from Kelna are super, super supportive of the women's team. So Bayern, bring it on. Question number five, um, any plans? Are your Is your family coming to Cologne at some point watching the games? Yeah, I think my grandparents will be traveling up for Thanksgiving this year, which is really special because I've missed Thanksgiving for the last seven years. Um, so yeah, they'll come up and maybe for my birthday next month. Also, my sisters might be heading out as well. All right. And then uh, the sixth and last question. What is your favorite post-game treat? Ooh. I think if I'm really going to indulge, if we've won, maybe a McDonald's McFlurry with extra chocolate sauce and um, what's it called? The little biscuits that you eat with the coffee. They're like, oh, I cannot forget. I, it's, it's a cookie. All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, great. Well, then we reached the end of the, the interview. Thank you so much. Is there anything that you would like to uh, tell the English speaking FC fans out there? Yeah, all the FC fans come follow and support the FC Frauen um, Instagram. Watch the games on DAZN. And yeah, we need your guys' support. So keep doing what you're doing. Frauen Bundesliga, of course, returns on September 16th. The FC Köln Frauen start with a home opener against Hoffenheim on Sunday, September 18th at 1 p.m. CET at the beautiful Franz Kremer Stadion. Come by. It is lovely. It's a great atmosphere. September 27th, away derby versus Leverkusen. It doesn't get more heated than that, I think. Um, and then between uh, September 30th and October 2nd, a home game against Turbine Potsdam, which is very interesting because Amber Barrett will be back at Franz Kremer Stadion after she transferred over. For more info and game dates, check out the FC Frauen Instagram account. And that was it for FC Überall for this episode. If you have not listened to the previous episodes of FC Überall, I highly recommend that you check them out. They are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, etc. If you have any questions, suggestions or comments or are a fan out there who would like to be on the show, reach out to me via fcoval at gmail.com or Twitter at fcoval. Since I am in Cologne right now and I want to share a little bit of the experience with all of you, here is another sound recording. Enjoy that get a little zen and then head out for the rest of your day or whatever you're doing. That is it for now. Again, thank you, Genesee, for the lovely interview. I really enjoyed it. Appreciate you having me on. And uh, thank you all for listening. Take care. And as always...
Thank <laughs> you. 